We are live. <laughs> What's right. up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of uh, Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMay. I'm your host. I'm with my partner in all things law enforcement. What's up, Bill Cannon? I thought you forgot the name of the show for a second. <laughs> did I say it? <laughs> what did I say? I don't know. You were like, oh, you hesitated for a second. I said, wait no, a minute. You know what happened was every when I take my glasses off, uh, I can't. I stop thinking. <laughs> I don't know what happens. I, since I can't see anymore, my brain just stops working. <laughs> I'm trying to, I start focusing on the screen, and then before you know it, I forget what I was actually trying to say. Anyway, listen, enough about uh, my uh, the fact that I can't read a copy. Our guest tonight, we have a special, special guest. Uh, it's an honor to have him. He served 36 years with the NYPD. He, uh, he rose up to the ramp of chief. He was the patrol borough of Brooklyn South, Queen South. Um, IAB, and he retired six years as the transit chief. Welcome, uh, Joseph Fox. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And uh, I don't want to start out with a correction, but I'm actually 37 and a half years NYPD. But I say 38 and a half because I was a traffic agent for a year before I became a cop. So I wow. can say that. And I, now I say 41 because I consider myself just as involved trying to do what, what, I, what I can for these young cops. Um, as I as I was when I was working, so. Chief. When you retired, how much time did you have on the books? Um, you know what? Not not a lot because I was a captain so long. I mean, I made captain with ten years on, uh -huh. and, and 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 was like I just at the time you just didn't take a lot of time, you know. And then then I made two star pretty quickly, and you're not able to save a lot of time there. You don't make the, you don't make time anymore. Right. Right. So yeah. You but must have been a, a pretty damn good test taker. You went from cop to captain in ten years. It was. It wasn't me. It was the alignment of the tests. <laughs> I mean, I got to take. A, I got to take a sergeant's test with like a year and a half on a job, and I got promoted with two years and and not three months, two months and twenty nine days. Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. There's rules now. There's you know now you you can't get promoted until you have five years, and that wasn't in play then. So that gave me a you good. You almost the record, right? Who's got the um, record? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think if there's a record, and I say this, you know, with all modesty, I think it's making one star uh, because I did that with 16 years and two star with 17 years. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, but no one's writing about that record. Uh, I, that's okay. <laughs> that's well, it. didn't uh, Fausto Pachado became uh, chief of patrol with less than 20 or no? Um, I think he was around, yeah, he was a little less than 20. He wow. Was. That's pretty and, amazing too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, but uh, but when anytime anyone makes the slightest big deal out of my of my rank, I always say I'm just a small fry in a McDonald's Happy Meal. <laughs> uh, and I, but I'm one of the happiest fries in that Happy Meal. And I, you know, like jokes oftentimes have truth to them. And I and I really, you know, there's not a day that goes by that multiple times I'm not saying, how did this happen to me? You know, how Chief, did, how there, I, there you are on the screen with all of that gold on your shoulder and your collar brass. Yeah, and, that was, and on that one, I, I had a speaking part, so you can see how, <laughs> how how much you know. You know, with, with the funny thing about if you look at if you if you can get a whole video of a press conference where, where I'm like not speaking, it begins. I mean, this is like mayors and commissioners, and it begins with me standing like this, completely attentive and stoic, and then. 10 minutes into it, my eyes start going. And then every now and then you'll see me go like this and grab the phone, put it down. And then next thing you know, I'm saying hello to the reporters in the audience. I'm going like, 
And by the, by the time 40 minutes goes by, I'm all over the place because it's hard <laughs> for me to sit in one place at one time. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know what you're talking about. If I'm at a comedy show performing, sometimes they they have they come up with this stupid idea to have the comedian sit on stage and watch the other guy. I don't want to do that at all. No, right in the back. Right. When it's my time to go, I'll go. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, you know, rising to chief. That's that's. You know, that's a really powerful position. The average civilian doesn't. I I don't think they um they could possibly understand what it's like. Uh, that's like being almost like a CEO of a company. What does it feel like to walk into um, any command unannounced? I mean, you, there's that phone call coming before you. We all know that. But what does that feel like when you walk in? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll give you one. When I was a new borough commander, I became the chief of Queen South, two-star chief. And the 107 precinct, which is where our headquarters was, um, it's a you, you walk in the back door from your parking spot, and then there's a big area, and then there's a desk, and there's the elevator opposite the desk. So you walk in right near the elevator. And as soon as you walk in, everybody would yell attention. And and I'd say at ease and how you doing, everyone, and smile and talk, and they'd all still stand there. And and I'm waiting for this elevator. It was the longest elevator in the world because I felt so uncomfortable. But it was respect, and I know that. I get in that elevator. Sometimes I'd look down and say, am I, am I not wearing pants or something? Like, why are they all staring at me? But it reminds me, if you ever see that, uh, some of the Austin Powers movies, yeah. with Dr. Evil uh, has his fro line, that, that German woman, and yeah. she shouts out, lower the tractor beam, and Dr. Evil would go like this and get, get scared. Uh-huh. It was, yeah, yeah. It was uh, I, I never got used to, nor am I still used to, um, the big deal people make of the position, the title, and me, and it's like I said, as many times that I say, how did this happen to me? You know what's got to be awkward when you're at work and you get so much respect when you're at that rank, when you walk into like a precinct or any office, like you mentioned, everybody stops, they stand up, they, they get an attention, and then you go home in your perf- personal life, you're going out to dinner with your wife and kids, nobody knows who you are, you got to wait in line at Red Lobster like everybody else, right? Isn't that oh, weird? Yeah. And, I, and I, I enjoy when when I'm when I'm not recognized, but I enjoy when I am. It's very, you know, it's it's like I used to, when I lived in Marine Park, I'm in Rockaway now, um, I used to jog uh, in, in, in the park there. And throughout the years, every now and then, often, I'd meet a cop and he'd say, Chief, you still jogging? And I'd say, you live near, and he said, yeah, I see you in the park. I said, why don't you say hello? They uh-huh. saw it all of you. So uh-huh. I've come to learn that for any place I am, if one person says hello to me, probably five others around the job will know me and they give you that respectful distance. But I don't want the respectful distance. Anybody listening to this, I want you to say hi. I want to chat. I, I, I was a lot to handle for the for the people who drove me because, you know, I'd see a cop. Let's get out and talk to him. And, we're, and they'd be going like this. We got a meeting. We got to get there. We got to get to headquarters. So, oh, I thought they were trying to. I thought they were trying to indicate that this place is good, like it's OTA. Oh, what was something about that? You know? when, I was, when I was doing those visits, and we will again with Anna and Anthony and the, and the line of duty families, the, the Thank You NYPD Facebook group to the commands last summer and fall. I would always, you know, they would bring food for the whole command besides our words. And on the way out, I would always grab a, a couple of bagels, little baked baguettes. And I, in the two different huddles of cops, I'd say, guys, you know what never changes even when you're retired? And they look at me, what's that, chief? You still love the food. It's uh, like to have breakfast tomorrow from a restaurant, but I'm going to be sitting on my terrace with this bagel. It's going to be a day old. That's uh, right. You know, chief, it was funny, like, when you say the reverence of, you know, you walk into a uh, a precinct and 
Well, I, it is, I think, anyone above the rank of inspector, they have to yell attention, right? Yes, the yeah, inspector or above. I remember when I, I was teaching CIC and I was a sergeant and there was all these recruits there. And one of my friends taught uh, one of the recruit classes and she goes, why don't you come in and say hello? So I walked in and they all sprung to attention. I laughed so hard. I almost <laughs> needed oxygen. You know, I, I yeah. just thought it was so funny. You know, yeah. <laughs> are they you know, doing speak, that for me? <laughs> you know, speak, it's, it's, a, it's a humbling feeling. Speaking of the uh, police academy and recruits, you know, for, for five or six years, monthly, me and our, a team did seven habits of highly effective people. We, we, we did uh, the seminars, we did seminars, you know, based on the Covey book. So I used to love hanging out in the cafeteria and interacting with, with the rookies and all people, be, people being trained. So there was one time where um, there was a table with about nine of them, you know, like second month into the academy. I said, hey, is this seat taken? And they're like, yes, sir. I mean, no, sir. <laughs> so I sit down and I, and I ate with them and I, I loved it. You know, I'm telling them stories. I'm asking where they come from. And the funny thing is when I was done, I said, okay, guys, take care. I got up. And as soon as I turned around, I turned, I saw them all running out of the cafeteria because they were probably late for class when I joined them. Their right. meal was probably up and, and, and they weren't going to get up while I was sitting there. So they probably all got in trouble to the different classes they went back to because I was sitting there telling them. Yeah, Chief Fox made me sit there and talk to him. Yeah, and the instructor says, yeah, right. <laughs> Chief, in your 37 years, 39 years, what was your favorite place to work? You know, I've been asked this before. And there is there is not a favorite because every every place I worked was better than the one before, and every place I worked I thought I didn't want to work anywhere else. Uh -huh. When I was the chief of Brooklyn South, I lived my first five or six years petrified, anxious, and worried about getting promoted because I I didn't want to leave. I loved it so much. And a friend of mine, Pete Tuffy, a guy I was supposed to be mentoring as a precinct commander, became my mentor, and he said to me around year five or six, "It's not a matter of if you." leave it's a matter of, uh, of of when so why stress over it and at that moment my life got better in many ways so i never wanted to go to the next spot when i was a 7-1 ceo i didn't want to leave there uh and everywhere i went i said wow this is great this is as good as the other place and maybe i can do even more here that's a good that's a testament right there yeah and that, that includes police officer i took the test my partner mike collins he was going to one school and I was going to another. And it was like unspoken competition. We both confessed to each other 20 years later that neither of us had any desire to become a sergeant. But because the other one was studying, we didn't want to be outdone. <laughs> so the both of us wound up becoming chiefs. And th that first step we only did because we didn't want the other guy to get ahead of each other. Oh, wow. That's good. That's great to have that. Yeah. There you are, Chief, giving a speech there. I don't know if with uh, Commissioner Bratton there. You remember that day? Uh, not that day, because uh, he, you know, he, 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 uh, you know, we, it was, it was quite collaborative with him. You know, we, we would all have the turn at the mic, and uh, oftentimes without warning, just throw it to us, and that was good, good experience. So uh, it was probably something about transit, um, you know, transit, transit crime, which I was very proud of. I, I used to love when I got grabbed, you know, called on to to speak, uh, even if crime was up, whether it was a slashing. Because whenever I did, I got to speak about the, the great hard work and men and women of the Transit Bureau, the partnership with the MTA. And I loved it. We had one in, in 2014, 2015, Carmen Rivera, a 74-year-old woman, was randomly slashed from like almost ear to ear. Um, 
and it was it was horrible. And and that that year, every time there was a slashing, even slashings, you know, between two guys fighting, and one guy had a paperclip and cut the other, uh, it was always headline news. So, as a show of uh, kind of like faith in the transit system, they decided to do the monthly crime briefing in the transit bureau. And that was really exciting because we had the mayor, we had the police commission, we had all the chiefs, we had all the reporters and they put me up and I looked at all the reporters and I said, today is a great day. Welcome to the transit bureau because today I get to speak about the hard work <laughs> of this transit bureau. And the reporters, they're, they're kind of like smiling because they, you know, it was like the pressure was on. Transit, crime is up in transit. And I, I, I said what I believed that they do a phenomenal job down there. And, um, and, it, and it's just one of the safest systems in the world. Yeah, I got to tell you, you look sharp in that uniform. I mean, you know. I, I swear to God, you were in phenomenal shape then. Uh, everything is working there. You look like a superstar. Let me ask you a question, though. What about what's going on now with transit? Like, I know you're, you know, you're probably paying a lot of attention to it. It probably means a lot to you. What do you see is going on there? What's happening? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because the first big news that that people can't grasp and no one's writing about it, there's this narrative that ridership is down significantly and crime is down, but crime should be down even more because ridership's down. And that's not true. Crime should could possibly, a good chance would have, if, if not for the great job that Kathy O'Reilly's doing, and the rest of the men and women in transit bureau. Because think about this, the ridership is down, but guess who is still on subways? People who commit crimes. Uh, they're still on subways. They, 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 they're not driving Ubers, and they're not working from home on laptops. They're in the subways. So it's they have greater opportunities because there's less crowds. So so that's that's ripe for crime increase. So the fact that crime is down, is it, it, it continues to be a tribute to what these young men and women are doing. They take it seriously. And you guys know, they take it seriously. I mean, you see the, the guests you have on, um, uh, Sean Kelly. Thank you. I reconnected with him. I, I, love, I love Sean Kelly. We were SBA oh delegates together. What a great guy. I sat there with all of my years and experience watching him like I'm watching a movie. Yeah. I, I, it was almost like, holy cow, I wish I could do what he did. And, <laughs> and I, I felt that way because he did all his years. He did great things. And I did very little of those. I did things I'm proud of. But it just shows you the, how much there is to do in this job and how many ways there are to make a difference in the world. Chief, I want to also follow up with that transit question. And I, I spoke uh, the other day when Mark and I had Ed Mullins on, and we said one of the most significant things in regards to crime fighting that was taken away from the police was having jump in the turnstile be a misdemeanor theft of service. And when the police lost that, they also lost search incidental to lawful arrest, which is an automatic toss when someone uh, is arrested for a crime. And I think that's a big blow to the transit police. What do you think? It's a big blow. It's much more than bad policy. It's actually a disgrace because it sets it. It says, it says that from the moment you walk into that sub, that sub, that gate to get into that station, it's okay to disregard rules. That's what it says. And here's the thing, that whole narrative that, that people love to buy into that, you know, that we're criminalizing poverty, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. This 70% of the people stopped for jumping a turnstile are given a, a tab, Transit Adjudica Adjudication uh, Bureau summons. And it's, it's nothing. You walk away in 15 minutes, 70%. 
who's who's not given a tab and who's taken to a district? Transit recidivists, people who repeatedly do crimes in subways, people with warrants, people with weapons on them. But that narrative that you're victimizing, you know, that you're criminalizing poverty, everyone went with it, and and now we're losing a very important that. When, when, when people are coming and going and they see someone being stopped by a cop for, for jumping a turnstile, look at the tone that that sets. That makes people feel safe. When they're going through and playing with their Metricon, they see that. They say, wow, okay, this is a safe system. Cops are in action. I agree with you. Yeah. I yeah. think that if you if you polled, uh, did a poll on the people that are arrested in the system and found out whether or not they, in fact, Jump the turnstile, you probably find it to be ninety to one hundred percent. Yeah, and here and here's the simple formula: not everyone who jumps the turnstile would commit a crime, but everyone who who commits a crime will jump the turnstile. So it's a it's it's a no brainer that we we have we have to be there to to engage people who do that. It's just, and 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 it's another thing is I mean, just equally important. It's it's revenue. We, you know, we're contracted. You know that. It, Transit Bureau is there to support the MTA and the subway system. And and, and fare evasion that costs them millions of dollars a year, that's part of it. Yeah, I have a feeling like they were looking to make that money up with the uh, congestion pricing that took a back seat because of uh, the pandemic. But I, I would imagine that at some point they're going to they're gonna revisit it, and, and that's the idea. Yeah, um, uh, Mark, um, you're giving them a lot of credit. <laughs> they think that's a plan. People just kept shouting that you're victimizing, that you're uh, criminalizing poverty, and they shouted long enough until it sounds true. And and the district attorneys followed followed suit. If you look at this last year, if you would have gotten a bunch of great minds together, the greatest of minds, and and said, listen, go go off in a retreat somewhere, and just as as a as a practice run, see if you can come up with like ten of the best ways to destroy a city. They, they, those great minds couldn't have done what these elected officials have done. In this yeah, I know. Hey, I Chief, you know who just joined us? Dr. Stephen Washkill. I know you were just oh. on the show with him Saturday morning. He's one of my yeah. favorites, you know? Oh, man. it's a, I really enjoyed is not the word. It was a really important hour that we spent, you know, about suicides. And, and Dr., how are you? And thank you for joining us. Yeah, he's great. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Duty Ron for his uh, $10 super chat. And why don't we take a moment here to say hello to all the people that have joined us. Uh, like Bill mentioned, uh, Dr. Steve Washko. Uh, we got uh, MC Auto, Mike Colonon, 12-step uh, 12 woman who uh, has recently uh, gotten dipped in butter. Thank you, 12-step woman. <laughs> uh, Kajak Images, well said, Chief. The visual of seeing um, the stops definitely does set the tone in the transit system. Thank you. That is uh, that is very very true. Anytime that you see uh, police officers taking action for something that is actually like you know most people, the average person is annoyed by that infraction. They don't want to see it. Um, that's when they feel safe. That's that's what that's your job. That that that, that yeah. was our job. Yeah. Um, you know what I think. What I think happened um, in this this last few years is. There's not there's not enough people who remember what it was like to walk around our city in the eighties and the early nineties. I know it's like they were asking for it. They wanted they want it's like they're asking, they want to see what it was like. Yeah. Because we're always so nostalgic about it. Yeah, I want to see what it's like. 
Yeah. You know, Joe was talking about defund the police. You know what I'm saying? I said, I, when I first got on the job, I worked in the defund the police department for the first 10 years of my job. Every card had a milk crate in it to sit up. I mean, if cops are fat, that's why they break the seat. But <laughs> you, get the, you get the milk crate, uh, you name it. I mean, I worked in a rat infested uh, when I was in Manhattan Warrants. We were right behind the projects, right next to the compactor for the projects. I mean, you know, we, to get into the lunchroom, you have to bang a bat on the on the side of the door that three times so the rats would fly out of there. You know, um, so I worked in it. It's a bring it on. You know, yeah. Yeah. you know, I called that back then in the and at least I came on in the 80s and uh, apologist policing. You know, it was always assuming if a cop did something that was the, 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 the media question, there was a presumption that it was wrong. And it was really, you know, when Rudy Giuliani came, that he 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 almost always said the presumption is that the cop was right, and we'll investigate. And if it tells us otherwise, but now the presumption now, you know, it's supposed to be, especially in this last year, um, you know, if you if it, if there's suspected wrongdoing with a cop, there's an investigation, and then if the investigation is substantiated, then there's either criminal or, or administrative charges. But in 2020, it was all reversed. It was an elected official saying a half hour after he sees a video on Twitter that the cop is guilty, then arrest the cop. And then the then trial, no investigation. You know, that's the chief. That's a disturbing thing that uh, city council members, politicians are deciding what police procedures should be when they have no idea about policing period. We have, we've had the great uh, Maki Haberfeld from John Jay, say how ridiculous that is, is that they never query academics about is this proper police procedure is this not when they were talking about responding to the riots in the summer and they um talked about some procedure that the police use called kettling i'm sure you know what that is actually and actually it works. It it works. Exist. well yeah, i but, mean whatever the whatever oh, the yeah. technique yeah. is is that the police should be allowed to determine how to police. They shouldn't have to ask you how to do it. And well, if they, if that works to separate two groups, that's you know that's part of the strategy they use. On on that particular night, um, they they were they were warned repeatedly that group. Uh, they did a lot of damage in the Bronx, not far from there, the night before. Uh, they were warned repeatedly: curfew, curfew, curfew. It was hours after the curfew that that they ignored. That they that they were arrested. There was weapons found. There was all kinds of. But but the narrative doesn't work for our, our media and our elected these days. So they so they ignore it. Yeah, they just the New York Times just wrote an article about how um, the police the the techniques they used over the summer were all you know indicative of all of all people needing more training. I think these journalists need more training. You know. So so let me guess. So the millions of dollars in damage in stores. The restaurants disrupted, the broken windows, the, the, the businesses that had a higher close up, a higher extra security. Um, I guess that's because the police officers didn't have the right training. Right. Well, I think it's because they never got to complete their agenda here. I, they, I think the, the idea was that we were going to become, I don't know, uh, Portland or, or, or Minneapolis. And that, that was the idea. And it couldn't happen here. There was days of unrest. There was a lot of... Uh, turmoil going on but it couldn't it didn't it didn't get the footing that it does there. it's not the permanent uh you know cancer that it is over there yeah and it didn't because of the work of the nypd these young men and women that were vilified and he still stood out there and protected the, the, the whole city from being being burned if you if we uh, if we have to look back in history 
And if I have to find one one decision and one person that was the cause of all the violence and the destruction, 2020, it's that mayor in Minneapolis, uh, Jacob Fry. Uh, when he said it's bricks and mortar and he pulled the cops back that first night, that was a very loud message that everyone heard across the country. When you, I mean, imagine pulling back law enforcement in an American city and saying the next day, it was only bricks and mortar. No, Jacob, it wasn't bricks and mortar. It was, it was, it was the line between chaos and disorder and crime and civilization and safety. You walked away from it. Yeah. Chief, I want to ask you a, a tough question and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but um, what's disturbing to me now is that these progressives get almost no pushback from the upper echelon of the NYPD. And they're basically told, accept these police reforms or basically leave the job. And I think that in, in a different time, the top of the police department said, no, we're not doing that. But now they're told, if you don't do what we're telling you to do, leave. Well, yeah. and But I, I must say, though, uh, pushback. Uh, I'm not in the in the room. I'm not in the meetings. I don't speak with Commissioner Shea, but I can tell you what I know about him. He's pushing back as much as he can, and 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 you know there's there's uh what what a number of people like me think. Imagine if he wasn't there. Imagine if he wasn't there, because because I know enough about him that there's probably a lot of pushback. And Look, I know he was an excellent street cop, and I know he was. paid his dues on the street, but it just seems now they these they set these rules that make no sense whatsoever, and they're forced to accept them, and it's it's unbelievable. And it, but it's not just here; it's all, it's all over the country. It's this it's this wokeness, um, and it's it's like I tell these young officers, you know, the stock market has bad days and bad months; it always comes up. We'll get through this, but this is the Great Depression now. This, yeah. this may take a generation. You know what? Since you brought it up, I want to ask you this question. Uh, what would you say to the young cops that are on the job right now as far as how far should they go? You know, when we were on the job, you could be, I, I'll just use the word cowboy. You know what I'm saying? You could be that street crime guy. You know what I'm saying? You wanted to make collars. You went out every day with that attitude. Um, what would you say to the young cops on the job? As far as how far should they extend themselves? I would say to them what I said in every one of those NYPD visits. Um, that, um, and, and what I say to every one of them that I, that I chat with in the street, I talk with, which is regularly. Um, it's, it's be careful. You will be there when people need you. Nothing can stop you from that. I know that. You know that. Um, those, those gray areas that, that was not even a gray area, like breaking down a party that, that, was was part of policing, you know, a disorderly party, and in and and in the summer, you know, happened less because they were they were so their hands were so tied. Um, when when it's time to do that, uh, be careful, be more strategic, be as strategic as you are. Try to try to consider yourself just graduating the academy yesterday, even if you have eight years on. Be careful, work with partners, be strategic, have people um, back you up. You know, don't run right in. Because the authority, the respect that a cop got, even from criminals, um, you know, a couple of years ago, well, actually more than a couple of years ago, because this has been degenerating since 2014. But the respect that cops got is just not there, and, and the resistance is there. But the main thing I tell them is people can take away 
their gratitude, they can take away their respect, they can grillify them, uh, vilify them, individuals, groups, politicians, but no one can take why they do away from them. No one can take the mission and they have to remember that. They have to, they have to be true to that. And, and if, they, if, they, if they forget it, then they have to recalibrate themselves and they go to their locker and they get a letter from the family of a 94 year old woman and they were the first at the home when she passed away. And in that letter, someone wrote that they, they'll never forget them. Or the 19 year old kid that had his first car accident, he was so upset and he, you calmed him down. And if that doesn't work, go to the memorial in your precinct wall, because every precinct has one of cops who have died in line of duty. And remember that we wear that uniform for them as well. Well said, Chief. I just thank want to uh, shout out to some of our fans here. Duty Ron, thank you for the $10 super chat. Um, some others people really helping us out here. Uh, Maximo Morel, thank you for the $24.99 super chat. And for the 1999 Super Chat, you must love us. Thank you so much. <laughs> and Ryan Investigative Group for the $5. Michael Marcucci, thank you for the $5 Super Chat. Uh, you would think we're living large, but not really. We're cops, you know. But uh, I, always, I always consider, you know, Chief, I used to love when they always said to you, you got to be willing to take chances, you know. And I was. I mean, I did six and a half years in anti-crime. You know, I wound up in homicide, all that stuff. But how do you say that to a cop today? You got to be willing to take chances because the job that has our back may not have their back today. You know? Yeah, you you have to be very strategic, very strategic, very careful. And and even before this last couple of years, um, they were getting that because of the body cameras, you know, the body cams. So they were, you know, cops are resourceful people. You know that we figure things out. So so there. I mean, I've had. I've had a conversation, this happened a couple of months ago, and I think they must have been coming in to check a restaurant. And, and, uh, and, I, and I start chatting with the cop, hey guys. And, and the partner goes like this, points to the camera to let me know it's rolling, right? So they, they, you know, they, they know how to be careful and, 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 and it's, it's more challenging now, but they'll do it. But I saw an, aux an auxiliary, right? Um, and uh, and, and he's, he's, I, I can't remember his first name. It was at a funeral about, about a month ago. And I went over him. He was with two police officers in the 6-1 precinct. He was a Russian kid. And he gave me this, like, real military salute. And, I, and you know, I was in a suit, of course. And, uh, and I said to him, I said, so uh, what do you want to do? You know, what, what are you going to do after this? He says, NYPD, sir. The job is not dead. <laughs> and I said, exactly. I kind of, like, hit him in the chest. I says, great to hear so the guys like us and gals like us are saying no one's gonna want this job but guess what they do there's always so, crazy people out there yeah <laughs> like us like us but well, you know God. about auxiliary i always said that you know what when they, they had that show uh um extreme sports you remember that uh, they had on espn extreme sports i said you know you want to do an extreme uh, extreme sport you should be an auxiliary cop for the NYPD. They put you in a police uniform, the same exact uniform. The, the shield's different, but who bothers looking at the shield? And then they put you in the danger, most dangerous place in New York City without a gun. Yeah. <laughs> Go get them. Yeah. Hey, two, two auxiliary cops I remember that. killed in the Ninth Precinct. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I was, I was down there that night. I was actually performing comedy at uh, the Boston Comedy Club that night. And, and one of the cops... One of the cops who fired was Arthur Leahy, 
Um, he was a, a relatively young new cop in the sixth precinct, and he was Jimmy Leahy's brother. Jimmy was one of the 23 who died in the towers, and Arthur was inspired by his brother's passing and, and sacrifice to become an NYPD cop. Amazing. Chief, yeah. I'm going to share something on the screen here. Oh. And it was one of the highlights of your career here. That was a good day. That was a good day. <laughs> yeah, there's my daughter on the right. Um, <laughs> And see, even here, they're telling me, come on, you got to go. That's what it was like with the drivers. I would have stayed there all day. You didn't want to leave, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's and uh, your granddaughter. That's uh, Leah. That's Leah. She's going to be six now. If I didn't hold her, I probably would still be there talking to cops. <laughs> it, it's actually one of the reasons I picked her up. But it was really nice. That's under the uh, scaffolds. It'll probably be there for another 20 years. Um, yeah, that's, that's nice. Let's get to the bagpipes. Yeah, there they are. Yeah, Todd Mazel took this video. It was great, great job. She loved it, Leah. She loved that little flower. And here's uh, my son's going to drive me. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we drove about three blocks, and then we all met in different cars. Then I, there he goes. Yeah, that's Todd Mazel asking if he's ever driven a chief before. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? That's fantastic. You know, Chief, my, my walkout consisted of me stumbling out of Coogan's. <laughs> Is that the place up in uh, up at Manhattan North? Yes, yeah. Washington yeah. Heights. Yeah. It closed yeah. during the pandemic. It closed. What nice people. We used to have Vinnie Coogan, my ex oh, oh, my God. I, Vinnie Coogan was my lieutenant in uh, the 2-4 squad. I love Vinnie Coogan. Yeah, he's a great man. And, and he used to bring us into that place to have uh, – you know, our dinners. I, I used to suspect that, you know, Chief, there he is. There he is. I knew I you were going to ask that. about him. So I put him on the, <laughs> I put him in the show. That, that's <laughs> actually one of the NYPD. Thank you. NYPD visits. There I am back and uh, Vinny came out and there's Kathy O'Reilly and Kathy O'Reilly was the chief of Manhattan North. And she was not the chief of transit. And she came down to this, to the system uh, to, to, uh, to, to visit and which says a lot about her. A hundred percent, you know. So you got some great people there, you know, some really yeah, great I think, people. Um, I think in that photo, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. I think it's Steve Marullio, something like Steve that. Marillo. Steve, Steve Marillo. Um, positive work for the job regarding uh, suicide awareness. And he has uh, he's always on Facebook Live, yep. um, you know, sharing his knowledge with that and, and, and you know, looking out for his uh, brothers and sisters in blue. So that's that's an interesting photo. I cherish my connection with Steve because he he uh, took a couple of lumps unfairly on the job and just kept kept plugging away and uh, um, and I'm and I'm and, I, and I'm, I'm I know I'm going to see him cross that stage again and get promoted again. Hey, uh, no, just, you know, you Chief, know, you seem you seem almost priestly. Maybe you're uh, like too. Maybe you're like too good. I don't know. You know, one time <laughs> uh, I, when I got to Brooklyn South, I had my one on ones with the COs. And one CEO I was friendly with, because I worked with her before, and I had a, a, a one of the one one on ones with, you know, one of her peers, and she called me up, said, "Yeah, um, Janine said you missed your calling. You should have been a priest." <laughs> <laughs> it's so, true. Yeah, you have that priestly sort of uh, look, you know. <laughs> no, well, thank you. I just, uh, you know, I was I was chatting with a guy. I, if you see on Facebook, one of my favorite places i go to jamaica bay i was there with, with my girl girlfriend recently and uh i happened to meet a guy uh his name is don 
um, I forget his last name, but he's a, an, an, an environmental activist. I asked him if he's ever been there. He said about 51 years. He was the, the head of parks that maintain that place. And, and it's over in nature, nature uh, Jamaica Bay Nature Refuge. So we're chatting and I said something to him about a poem I wrote there. And he said, you were NYPD? I says, yeah, what do you mean? He said, I've never seen one, you write poetry, you're an environmentalist. <laughs> I says, a friend of mine told me in 29, 2009 that I'm an enigma and I kept saying to her every time she'd say that uh, Nancy I'd say can you tell me what that word means again <laughs> I feel the same way I was studying acting uh, I used to read uh, Shakespeare in the van with my partners and they were like can you imagine like uh, a group of cops sitting in the van like uh, reciting Shakespeare you know I do poetry photography environmentalist but I'd never done Shakespeare so you got me there Mark there you go you were Carla there Carla Sweatshirts. Carla was on our show. Those are the sweatshirts yeah. for um, for the canine. I just ordered a sweatshirt, Mark, and I promised as soon as I get it, I'm going to wear it on our next show. As soon I want as one I too, it. man. I'm going to order one too. I was yeah. so proud of her. I know her for, for, since I became chief of transit. First of all, when I came home the s second day after being told to retire, there was an edible arrangement um, fruit basket in front of my door, and it was from her. And I and the only tear I shed back then was then. I was so touched that a, a, a woman whose father was taken from her when she was 20 days old, and there's a fruit basket in front of my door. And I sat there that night at this table, and I remember shouting out, it was about 7 p.m., I was about to have my burger, and I shouted out, I'm so, in this apartment, you can hear it, I'm so effing lucky. And I caught myself, and I wrote about it. It's still on my calendar, because I'm gonna write about it someday, and it's the power of perspective. Before I forget, Shane Rogers says hi. Oh, hey, Shane, how are you? I worked with Shane uh, over at the police academy. We're in uh, CIT. I was yeah. one of the actors for CIT. Shane's Shane's a good man, and he's he's done a lot, and he's uh, helped. Help, he was very wonderful to me. Like I said, I was in the academy every couple of every month, a couple of days. But that speech Carla made that day in the seven two, wow, that was amazing. I'm watching her, and I grabbed her because I know a lot. Of, I know what she does. I said, Carla, do you do public speaking in that job? And she says, no. I said, you're kidding me. I mean, she was amazing. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's it's it got a lot of views. It got about close to 30,000 views on my Facebook account alone. But uh, really, she really nailed it. So, you know, she's, she's a sweetheart, but I sense that she's she's tough. She's got to, you know, she's had to become tough, you know? You know who knows she's tough? The school district. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Ask them if Carla's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You're 100 percent right. Yeah. Think this cancel culture needs to take a left hook. You know, they, they yeah. poked the bear. They poked the bear, man. That was a big mistake. Yeah, yeah. Ask, ask them if Carla's tough. See what they can get away with. It was all fun and games for them with their wokeness until they did. Yeah. Until they did that. To, not only to her, to her dad's memory. Oh, Sandy. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. Sandy Lou. I can't believe seeing that this woman. Every time I speak with her or text with her, I always say, I'm so proud of you and I love you. Because I was in the hospital, I was in Woodhall, and I saw her that day, and I saw her the months after. Um, and to see her, I mean, this, the activism that she brings to the NYPD and and little Angelina, it's, it's it was, and that was, a, that was beautiful. It's, it, it, Mary Murphy did a wonderful job that night. And Chief, you're referring to her husband killed in the line of duty, Wen Jen Lu, I believe his first yeah, name Wen was. Wen right? Jen Lu and Rafael Ramos. And, Rafael and Ramos. Was, one of the worst days. Yeah, one of the worst days in NYPD history. There's been others, but that was a bad day.
Yep. And um, most of us will never forget it. Um, it's, it seems that um, many elected officials have, um, but we never we never will. And uh, she's she's a special woman, and so is Maritza. Wow. You know, he uh, I knew him. I worked in the did unit at three hundred Gold Street, and he worked. He was from the A four, so I knew him. And he would uh, sit uh, station out security for uh, for our building there. A lot of days, I bought him a lot of coffees. That guy. Well, I'm telling you, man, the, the idea that uh, that could happen was part of the reason why I uh, I retired when I did. I'm not going to get too detailed into this, but I was at the hospital, and some of these elected officials um, who are all part of this now um, were in that room. I'd rather not mention their names. You could just go back and find out who would be in that hospital. But part of me, part of me wanted to feel sorry for them. They had this look on their face. You know, sometimes you think you can tell what somebody's thinking. And to me, I thought they were thinking, oh, my God, this is serious. This is not fun and games. You know, allowing those those those, those demos back then and, and fanning the flames and, you know, uh, referring to Eric Gardner as a good man when there was a no true bill, uh, no true bill, you know, from the grand jury. And, and when you, when the language should have been, this is our justice this justice system, criminal justice. We're supposed to follow this. We live by this. Instead of saying the city mourns now, and and that's that's the message that people got, and they vilified cops. Well, you know, chief, we said before how a lot of people uh, on the other side, you know, they looked at uh, Pantaleo wrestling with Eric Garner, and they're saying, oh, Pantaleo's a bad cop. And I've said it over and over and over again. No, Pantaleo is a great cop. He was involved in a bad situation that went bad. And he he's the kind of guy that I want in my anti-crime team. I want that guy, you know. And as Ed Mullen um, points out, and by the way, uh, great job with him. I have a lot of respect for him. Not only does he speak for the sergeants in the NYPD, he speaks for the NYPD, from all of us. And, uh, you know... Daniel Pantaleo didn't wake up that morning and say, I think I'm going to go grab a guy selling stolen cigarettes today or uh, Lucy's or whatever he called right, it. Right. He was sent there. He was sent there to do that. Yeah. He was doing his job, you know. Yeah. I mean, so those, you know, that narrative, well, he was just selling, you know, uh, cigarettes. He, he, it, was, it was something that the store owners were complaining about, the people were, but – you know, Chief, it's just like, I don't know if you've been watching the unrest in South Beach in Miami, and it's just it's just out of control. And I think that good people that live there demand something gets done, you know? Yeah, and, of course, it's not pretty when the police fire tear gas and all that stuff. One guy, one cop made a tackle that he could have got him signed by the Giants. <laughs> it was a beautiful double um, tackle. And I was like, wow, cops still do that. It was beautiful. You talking about the spring breakers? Yeah, I'm talking about the spring breakers. And that's yeah, organized anarchy. It's not, you know, well, that is. You know what happened was they just, they didn't anticipate the amount of people. Everybody, uh, everybody else is still kind of sort of living in this lockdown world. And Florida's wide open, and and you know, you know they're, they're getting the vaccines, and they're like, you know what, let's go party. So I don't think they anticipated the amount of people that were going to be there, 
and it's uh, it's scary. It's just scary to them, to the police force there, and that's why they had to take those um, those measurements. Not that anybody's following that eight o'clock curfew. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, it looks like they're still out there, but uh, that just goes to show you that it's it's a it's a kind of sort of. Um, but you know something? The press will criticize the police, not the disorderly people that are out there. You know. When I when I see the videos, all I see is thousands and thousands and thousands of people and a couple of cops. You know what I'm saying? It's like, uh, you know, so- Mark, Mark, you mentioned the lockdown. Um, so I, I wrote this blog, my, my memoir of the last 364 days, and I put it out on March 12th on my website and all platforms. And 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 because March 14th was the anniversary of me getting COVID, and I decided to just write about what I've seen, and. I came up with something writing it that I didn't think of before, and it's, it's and it struck me a lot. The idea is that in the beginning, when we were all in pain with COVID and with the, the lockdown and the separation from each other, there was a unity to that. I mean, we felt more aligned with each other. We realized how much we needed each other, and it was global. It wasn't just in our country. And then the day after George Floyd died, we blew it as a civilization. We turned on each other. Um, violence and discord and blame and it's and it's a shame it's sad it's sad to look back and see that it's like we it's like we were able to handle stress and pressure and challenges for about three four months and then and, and a, a, a spark went off and we allowed it to tear us apart yeah and, and and the people most responsible for that are the media the commentators who just fed it and fed it and fed it and, and just kept saying long enough that this is a systematically inherently racist country and the most racist people in that system are police officers. Right. And he just kept saying it and saying it, and people, now they're teaching it in schools. That's that's incredible. I find that incredible. Yeah, you know, Chief, uh, Stephen Revo Gates said, Chief, I got the Ford Explorer with a full tank. Let's go. Uh-huh. <laughs> Steve was a great, Gates was a great cop, and so was his father. Uh, hey, why don't we do the commercial now, Bill? Uh, because we got paid. <laughs> they sent they sent us some money. So uh, here we go. Uh, listen up, guys and gals. We are sponsored by the best hot sauce in the world. Silk City hot sauce is made with small batches with pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silk City hot sauce. There are several flavors from mild to wild. Uh, they got crazy labels, great artwork. So go visit and listen. Let me tell you something. I've had. Uh, I'm done with my. Uh, with my, I even finished Bill's batch. By the way, I never <laughs> had a chance to get Bill his batches. I'm halfway through those. It's really a great hot sauce. So uh, go visit SilkCityHotSauce.com. There's so many different flavors. Um, as some of OTC, put that in for uh, to get a 15% discount. SilkCityHotSauce.com OTC. And our poor, our, our one, our poor sponsor, our lone sponsor, has been getting grief. He asked me, uh, "Do you guys get a lot of hate mail?" And I was like, uh, "Not yet." <laughs> but um, apparently, there's some people upset. They they've been tuning into the show for some reason, spending an hour of their day uh, to find it because we don't like we don't have a commercial commercial for this. You know, we do it in the middle of the show. So you got to watch the whole show to realize, oh, they have a sponsor. Why not go bother them? So talk about the (laughs) – this is what we're up against right now. Uh, So so Silk Silk City Hot Sauce, I'll tell you this. Vinny Coogan, we mentioned him before. That uh, when he was a kid, that young Irish boy with his red hair grew up in Spanish Harlem. 
and he loves spicy food. <laughs> Whoever's listening to this, send it to him because he'll probably be the their biggest customer. That's right. Yeah, there's so many different flavors there, and uh, I, I use it because I started this diet now, and um, I got this is very bland the food, so I, I I put a little hot sauce on there. You know That's what I'm saying? Good. good step. Yeah, and I've been going through it like crazy. So you know, you know, Chief. One thing I wanted to just say, and uh, I appreciate this about you, and I this stuff actually in my 27 year police career, I think this is the first time I ever met you. I may have met you, but I I don't uh, recall it because I would have remembered I would have remembered you, you know. And I I really appreciate the fact that you're such so, such an optimist, and sometimes it's difficult when so many things are going wrong to remain an optimist and to keep. You know, keep the, keep your head up high and keep marching forward. And the other guy we had on the show that reminded me of that, and you know, you I would follow him into a war is uh, Chief Anamone. You know, he yeah. was always, you know, we're, we're the NYPD, but you know, is that pride still there? And is it, you know, it's tougher and tougher when our detractors are supposed to be on our side. You know, yeah. You know, go ahead. Yeah. No, you have to. Yeah. You have to be. We have to be. We have. You know, I closed out that blog and I said, you know, we can't. We can't stay like this. You, it, this is this is not humanity for us to be fighting. We are not what we see on TV, and we are not what the pundits are saying, the politicians. And if you want to, if you want hope, just go go say hello to a stranger and see how they smile back at you, or call the the, the woman in stop and shop who's you know, giving your credit card back by her first name and watch her smile or say hello to the FedEx guy in the lobby or, or the delivery guy in the elevator and say, Hey, listen, uh, wherever you're bringing that food, tell them Joe Fox said, make sure they give you a good tip, you know, and just <laughs> the smile. And that's, that's who we are. And I have yeah, you know, yeah. behind me, there's pictures of you put my granddaughter up there, my grandson, Joey. Um, I have to believe because I have to believe for them. And I do believe for them. 100% chief. Uh, Richella Pranzo, thank you for the $5. Joey Brooklyn, thank you for the $5. Aaron Rodriguez, you're one of our biggest benefactors. Thank you for the $24.99 Super Chat. You guys are so great fans to us. Peter Pranzo, Boxing MMA. I'm shouting out to all you guys. Thank you so much. Tonight we have one of the greatest guests, Chief Joe Fox, who did 37 years, maybe 39. I'm not sure. I keep forgetting. He keeps trying to slip some more years in there. But uh, <laughs> well, I get the only reason why I came up with 36 was because it was in the freaking bio on his bio. That's right. I didn't come up with that arbitrarily. You know what? what is he forgot the five years he was a priest, tried <laughs> no. to put them on at the end. No, you know, more money on the NYPD. I was like, wait a minute, I had, okay. you know, I do my own editing. Me and my sister Irene in Virginia Beach, and everything I put out, I sent to her, and she corrects for me. But uh, I, when I edited that bio when I retired, I probably left the 36 in instead of making it 37 or 38 or whatever. Well, I call it 41. You know what's really fascinating uh, about the show that we have here is um, how many guests that we have we've had on. Everybody has an extension either while they were on the NP, uh, NYPD or afterwards, and they blossom into these. Um, you know, it's it's easy for us upon our you know we go about our day to pigeonhole people. Oh, he's a cop, you know, or, or he's a lawyer, or he's a doctor, and then because we're lazy, we don't want to really like look into how much. What else they're going? I, I was a cop. I was a, I was an actor. You know, I was a comedian. You know what I'm saying? So all while I was a cop, and it's it's a lot to swallow if you don't want to, if you don't really not interested in the person. 
But when I'm hearing about your writing right now, I'm fascinated by it. And I want to go check out some of these blogs. Where do I go? Um, Joe Fox, um, like just put in Joe Fox Life Coach or, or Joe Fox Alliance. That's the website. And, and any of my social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, fa Facebook, um, Instagram, you just got to go back a few posts and I put the I put these blogs up and that'll take you right to the, to the website. But there's there's about 17 poems there. Um, when I was a kid, I hated poetry and somehow I started writing poetry in 2008. It was funny. The reason why we're sitting here right now doing this is because of a blog that I wrote. Really? I'll tell you through the story. I was writing these blogs um, and then one of these comedian friends of mine, he got a job. Uh, with this uh, online magazine called New York Natives. And he says, hey, would you mind if I interview you for New York Natives? So I did it with him, and it was fun. And one of the girls that worked there at New York Natives, she was, I guess she was looking me up on the internet. She thought I was cute, so she started reading my blog. And then she said to me, um, you know what? You're a pretty good writer. Would you, would you want to contribute to our magazine You know, and, and write an article? So I started doing two articles. I started doing the back in the day and uh, something else. And then I said, to, uh, they had money there, you know, they were like being fun. So I said, listen, could I, I want to produce a web series. So that web series that I produced, one of my first guests on there was I called Bill up. And then me and Bill, we started doing a web series for them. Uh, and that's how we got together. But wow, it was that's interesting. Fun. What year was that? What year did it start? Hello, Bill. Hello, seven years uh, you ago. You know, we started that about five years ago, but the podcast we've we've only been doing for two years. I think it's more like uh, seven or eight years ago. We is first. it that long ago? Because there was I a break. I'm getting, was, Chief, I think I'm older than you, so I'm getting I'm losing my uh, my memory. You know. And the well, worst part was <laughs> you talk about the funded man. We were on a roll, man. We were producing these really. We had an editor. We had a, a budget, and then all of a sudden they pulled the rug out from under us. And me and Bill were like, "What are we going to do now?" <laughs> you know, we, we we just didn't know how to get back together again until we started doing this again. So this is great. Well, thank you, Twelve Step Woman, for for the four ninety nine chat. Thank you, Princess Mitch, and thank I you, Michael like, Cody. Can... You guys are so great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Chief. One of the things that I find amazing about you is that you go up to cops in the street. You visit precincts. That's yeah. that's like incredible because. You know, sometimes I walk past a cop and they, and I can see in their face that they don't know if I'm going to say, hey, officer, how you doing? If I'm going to say, hey, fuck you, you know, they don't know. It's in their face that because they're used to the, the negativity. But how great it must be to have a former cop walk up to them and say, listen, I really appreciate you guys. You know, you're doing a great job and keep it up. You know, you know, it's thank you. Thank you, Bill. It's it's uh, it's the way I worked as a as a captain inspector chief and 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 i had to learn to be a little more strategic when i became the chief of transit because in brooklyn south you see cops you see them in the street but transit i had to work at it you know i had to get going out to the stations and where where i may see them and you know they, they're back and forth in the trains so i guess it be, I became even more conscious of how important it is and when you do something for so many years and you start hearing stories that i'll never forget in 1999 i was on a foot post and you get out, and I was all nervous, and you just said, I want to say hello. Uh, when you, when you, the reason not everyone does that, everyone cares as much as I do, all of the boss bosses, but not everyone knows that this is what they appreciate. And it, and it takes kind of like, like you, it takes confidence that you, you know, you have to realize that it's the right thing. 
And even if the cop doesn't say anything, oh, that's great. That's well, Chief. I noticed that you do pick your spots, and you do pick some pretty, pretty cops too. <laughs> that's actually that's her name is Renee, and she's the daughter of a, a woman who worked with with me and my staff in Queen South when I was a chief there. Uh, and I was able to, you know, uh, mentor her a little bit, give her some advice here and there. And, and uh, um, unfortunately for us, and fortunately for her, she she just went to Nassau. Oh, good and, for her. Uh, good know, for yeah. Her. And 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 she was she was doing really well. And I was in the, that was in the visit to the seventeenth precinct. Wow. Um, ching ching. What's that? Ching ching. You know that's when we started. That was the overtime. Ching ching. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, actually, actually. That visit, it was pretty ironic because she was doing a day tour and uh, and her mom texted me and said they, they, they have her out covering patrol because we were doing this visit at, at 3 p.m. and they were holding the day tour out there to cover patrol. So I had to ask the CO to like get her in so I could so I could see her. I think I waited for her. But uh, and that was the 17th precinct, the, the visit we did. Or, or the 19th. I was talking about going to Nassau, like how she's going to, you know, she's obviously going to be making more money right now. Yeah. Yeah, she uh, she did well. What's and, that uh, picture, Chief? The one on the screen now. Oh, uh, that's Seven Habits. Um, seven Habits of Highly Effective People. We always did a group shot after, and all the way in the left there is Nora Med. She was one of the one of the trainers. We had a group of, of four of us. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, and uh, and that was one of the classes. I loved those classes because it 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 began that I was going to have all Transit Bureau you know supervisors come through. And the first group we had, they did the critique, and several people wrote on the critiques, the bosses should get this. So I thought, we, we thought, bosses, what do they mean? They mean chiefs, they mean captains, inspectors. So then we switched to all the, all the brass and the transit bureau. But it evolved to a point where half of those people aren't even on the job. We have people from MTA, from, from customs, from, from, if I met someone in BJ's, and I started to strike up a conversation, and they said, "What are you doing this week?" I'd say, "Well, I'm doing Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, a self-help seminar." And uh, and they'd say, "Wow, that sounds great!" And I'd say, "You want to come?" And that literally happened. There was a, a friend of mine named Rhonda who who sold pierogies and BJ's. <laughs> hey, let, me, let me ask you a question, uh, Chief. Um, we have a uh, a fan, a follower. Her name is Sandra Gabriella Rivera, and she's going out of her way. She made these bags. They're called bags of love. She lives in Charlotte. She made like 200 of them up. There were all wow. these hand sanitizer, um, juice, whatever you can think of to make, you know, the brothers and sisters in blue a little bit happier, brighten up their day. And she goes out there and she gives them out herself. That's She's right. a cancer survivor. She's, she, uh, she runs every day, nine miles. She listens to the podcast. And she just gave us a $10 super chat, by the way, which is a coincidence. I didn't plan this out at all. Wow. But uh, it's just, you know, there's people out there that are positive energy and they're doing, you know, stuff just like you, just like you just have this positive. Uh, it's got to, hopefully it's infectious, man. We need more of this. Yeah. And you know, like, like the, 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 one of the, my, one of my favorite quotes, Mahatma Gandhi, you, you must be the change you want to see in the world. And, and, and it's right uh, here. It, it's right here. It's right here in our interactions with people. That's, that's where, that's where, where, where we, where we make a difference. And and you know there are there and there there are people that are just on the other side of that line, and for whatever reason they've experienced pain, they're in pain, and it humbles me every day because I know people in my life that 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 don't have this happiness. But you know, my birthday was February second, and on the days leading up, a number of people would say, "What what are your plans for your birthday? What are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to do what I try to do every day. I'm going to be 
very appreciative of the happiness I've been blessed with, and I'm going to look for ways to share it with others in big ways and small ways, however I can throughout the day. And that's my life formula now. Chief, you're a great, you're a great man. You're a great man. Look at Chief, I just want you to comment on this picture here. Oh, that's um, that's I believe that's a cop of the year. I I forget. I think that's a, a family member of the cop who was honored. Uh, Alcamo, I think it was. Oh, Milia. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, oh, that's that's um, Stephanie, her, do her daughter. Okay. Um, yeah, that's Joe. That, that oh wow, that was yeah, that was the. Her, her dad was killed in the line of duty. Is that yeah. The 25 years ago in the Rockaways out here, um, re responding to a calls for help. Um, uh, some cops were fighting with, I believe, an EDP, uh, motion to disturb a person, and they were killed in a car accident. And I wound up calling her, um, the, the, um, Kathy Perez in Commissioner Bratton's office, uh, started sending out emails to all the executives a day or two before the anniversaries. So I decided to, to call Millie. I had her number in the email. I haven't met her before. And it was a year before that event. And, and I looked up and I said, Millie, I'm passing the location that it happened. It was, it was in Rockaway. I forget, I think it was 80 or 90 something street. And I was passing the location. So it was a day where you know, I did the gym, I did hot yoga that morning. And, and now I chose to have that phone call maybe two, three o'clock and I happened to be right there when it happened. So I've become very close with her. Um, I, I, Millie, a daughter and her husband, her husband, Mark, who's a great ESU cop. Uh, Mark actually donated, I, I, I'm assuming I can say this, he donated the kidney to a, a fellow officer or firefighter officer in a county of state who was down at the pile, and Mark didn't know, but he heard about this and thought if, if this man was down at the pile with us, he's a brother, and he donated his kidney to him. Amazing. That's great amazing. people. Great people. With this, with this NYPD culture, what, what I tell, tell cops in these visits is if you would have asked them in June or July, what their greatest pain point, what they're most upset of 2020. They would have said the fact that the world's turning on us. But then when the violence set in and the homicide and Deval Gardner, that one-year-old boy in Brooklyn got killed, if you ask a cop today, their greatest pain point is watching the increase in shootings and homicides. And second to that is them being vilified. And that's the kind of people they are. That's the kind of people we are. And that's really, really special. And I am so honored to be part of, to have become part of that culture. You know, Chief, I've been out nine years, and when I see what's happening now, I almost take it personally because I was part of that whole Comstat thing, broken windows policing, you know, where we took dropping crime very, very seriously. And we're like, you know, the poor people that are in these top positions when it goes the other way, but it's not their fault. It's the politicians' fault. They've yep. taken yep. away the tools we need to fight crime. You know, anti-crime. How do you get rid of anti-crime? How do you do that? Yeah. When that boy, when that boy Duval Gardner was killed in 2020, he was in his carriage and hit by a bullet uh, intended for someone else. The, the whole, everyone who saw that in the newspaper or wherever they read it was sad. They said prayers. But that, that day and that page in that newspaper turned. But for the cops who were there, that'll never turn. And for us, just knowing that, we think of him. We think of these victims. When we see a, an increase in 40% or 35% in homicides, and not only in New York City, throughout the country, you know, that hurts us because, you know, crime victims and crime reduction and safety, it's our life. It's our life. Yeah. You know, but Chief, there's also some heroes out there like Pat Russo, PBA boxing team. Yeah. These yeah, guys that are doing things for kids, and that's the way we're going to get a hold 
of the public is through the youth. You know, yes, some yes, of these great cops that do stuff for youth, and they realize that cops are real people and good people. And uh, that's and how we're going to connect with them, you know. And when we say youth, we got to remember the, the young kids, you know, the, uh, the, 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 you know, first grade, second grade, the third grade. It's, uh, it's real important. Hey, uh, you mentioned uh, the hot yoga, which I found interesting. Um, I, I tried to do that once, and uh, it, it didn't work out. They, they, they scared me right away. They said, oh, you have to make sure you're hydrated because, you know, it gets up to 110 degrees in here. And, you know, yeah. and I'm like, I drink every night. You know, I'm a comedian. <laughs> I'm not going to. I don't want to. I'm six foot four, 250 pounds. I don't want anybody having to move my body around <laughs> to get me out of the studio because I passed out. But you know what I've been doing? And I'm curious to know, have you ever tried this? I've been doing, uh, I'm on the 30-day uh, the cold shower challenge, the uh, Wim Hof. Today was wow. my, I, th I think, 18th day. I'm up to like seven minutes now. And the cold uh, shower? Yeah. What is the What is that? All the breathing techniques. Yeah, really? No, my son's been doing that for years. It's got a guy named Wim Hof. They teach yeah. you how to go through Great. freezing cold water. I don't know what it does for you, but they... they well, it wakes up your immune system. You're, you're able, your body's firing on all cylinders because it's got that uh, shock, but also mentally. You know, they, I, it's been 18 days straight. And uh, there hasn't been one day where I actually said, you know what, it's, I feel like doing this. Every day, it's I'm always never in the mood for it. And I'm always crying. And then I always feel like so much better after I did it. That's I just, great. I'm going to research I'm that. Gonna, yeah, you, could, you should check it out. I, you would love it. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> you seem like that type of you person. You could just jump right into the ocean. You live I'm gonna send you, away, I'm right? going to send you the uh, link, the Wim Hof link, because don't. there's a breathing technique to it. And once you once you get really good at the I'm not that that I'm not that I'm really good at it, but I'm getting better at it. The breathing technique, then the border doesn't even bother you anymore. You know, my big challenge now that I'm loving is my Peloton bike, which is right over by the window of uh, of the of where I, so I, when I ride, I'm I'm looking down at the boardwalk and the beach, and I, I brag about living on this beach nine months out of the year, and I cry the other three because I'm sixty. Where are you, Longby? Uh, Rockaway. Oh, right. okay. Oh, yeah, right. I, every window in this place, it, I'm looking at ocean. Chief, was was this your hook, your rabbi? Rabbi Cass. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't say hook, but a really, really dear friend. He's he's 84 years old right now, right? Yeah, and he's got over 50 years as a chaplain. And and I'll tell you, he's uh, I, I chat with him, you know, frequently. And he, you know, we, we just love each other. And he says the kindest things to me, the most encouraging. I always remind him. It's, Rabbi, you're going to speak at my funeral, but you're going to have to be patient because it's not going to be for about 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I got to tell you, man, in all honesty, whenever I see the uh, the stars, the fact that they're um, on the collar and then on the shirt the same way, it always strikes me as a little too much until I saw a picture of you. And I'm like, it fits them perfectly. I don't know, you know why, but the stars, they look bigger on you, and they're, they're separated perfectly. They're not all bunched up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there's something, yeah. uh, which brings up this question, because I got to ask you. Did you have your uniform taken in a little bit at the waist since you were in good shape? <laughs> no. I, actually, actually, Ari Hamandos, Park Uniform on 3rd Avenue and Sunset Park, uh -huh. I've become dear friends with them. And and he he really cares about how I look. He's a tailor. So, I could tell. So I would get that that summer blouse, and thank you because you mentioned looking in the uniform before. That summer blouse, I would get upgraded like every two years. I'd get a new one. 
the hat every every two years the shirts every year the patent leather shoes six months to the day and i and i timed it so that i would get the shoes on day one of the rookie orientation and i would talk about taking care you know paying attention to how you look and and i and i tell them look what's in my calendar as i closed up day one i say new patent leather shoes these are six months old i used to do it every year but when i did it every year the new ones looked slightly better than the old ones which means the old ones were unacceptable but then i get the shoes come in the next day open up stand up on the stage and say notice anything different about me everyone and they'd all point and say new shoes and that gave me something special with these cops because i've been doing this for years and then you know they have six years on they see me they say chief those are new shoes because they know i get them every six months but the message for that was take care of how we look i know that's who we are and professionalism. I had, you know, Chief, no, they'd never find the petrified French fry in your duty jacket, right? No. no. <laughs> I, I had I have I still have a lint remover that I it was a it was a whole routine. Every time I get in and out of the car, I take the, the summer blouse, put it, put it hanging in there. No, first do myself with the lint remover, because you know you're always hugging people. Um, do the hat. I came home at night, I wiped down those shoes, the, the tie. You ever see that the tie? Sometimes you'll see it's like turns white because people the oils from their neck. Yeah, the yeah. I would go in the sink and wash that top part of it. I mean, it was a whole routine. I loved the uniform because it represented something. And you'll notice, like in the last few years, you cannot find a picture of me carrying anything because I felt you would never see me carrying a folder. And the, the drivers, the team were wonderful to me. And if somebody handed me something and say, Chief, here's an article that I wanted you to see, I'd say, thank you. And I take it. And they would just appear and snatch it from me because to me, <laughs> that uniform was something whole. And I didn't want it to be distracted by carrying a folder or a book or, or, or something. That's amazing that you thought of that. Yeah, really? a lot. So it means a lot that you say how well the uniform looks. Because it's, a, you know, it's, it's like hiding behind the mic stand on stage. You know, yeah. sometimes they carry stuff. People who are not as, as um, they just, they, 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 you can't, they're new to the spotlight or they're never going to get it. But they have to hide behind something. Really, like you said they'll hold. A, they'll they'll come in with something under their arm. Wow. It's a psychological thing. It's a like you said. It's a distraction. And you you were smart enough to know. I don't want no. I want you to see yeah, this. You got to see the whole package. That's beautiful. It's it's brilliant. That's wow. So that's little that's little Paulie Cacavalli. Uh, I knew that was one of us. She's got two boys and two girls, right? The fried yeah, eggs in the hat. <laughs> I, I, the scrambled I, eggs, the scrambled eggs on the hat, yeah. Well, Chief, yeah. one good thing is you really don't have to worry about your haircuts. You know? <laughs> oh, no, I now I, I comb my hair with a towel. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we're up to an hour and ten minutes. I think we better – I know the Chief has to order dinner. And, no, uh, spaghetti and butter. Sorry, we're sorry. We oh, he's going to have spaghetti tonight. and butter tonight, the real bachelor's meal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chief, you were a fantastic guest. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and just promise us you'll come back. We'd love to have you come back. You know, I say yes to everything until there's a reason to say no. Strangers call me and say they want to interview me for the book they're writing. I say, yes, yes, yes. I know you, the both of you. I know your, 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 your viewers um, and we're friends now. So uh, anytime you'd like. Thank you. Chief. Check out so those great. blogs, man. I'm very excited. Thank you, Mark. I, I appreciate that. Thanks, Thanks for joining us tonight. We just have to uh, do a little tiny bit of uh, promotion. If you guys like this show, you can apply to us on Patreon, www.patreon.com. And uh, we have three tiers for $7 a month. You're the bucket. For $9 a month, you uh, you can get to polish my rack. 
And for eleven dollars a month, you can dip them in butter. You know, and that's the that's the top tier. And we give you content that no one else gets. Um, what else do we got, Mark? Anything else? Is that? Oh no! Please subscribe on YouTube if you like our show. Just hit that subscribe button. We've just gotten over 3,000, 3,100 thanks to Duty Ron is helping us build our audience. And hopefully one day we'll uh, have, you know, 100,000 people watching us across the, the nation. That would be great. And, uh, and for those of you who are in the tri-state area, save the date, April 25th. It's a Sunday. Sunday, April 25th, I'm recording a comedy album at the New York Comedy Club on 4th Street. The show times are going to be 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. Uh, no, 7 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. But I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be posting up flyers about it and talking about it more. But I'd love to have you. We're gonna have a coupon code for all uh, the people that are, are uh, you know follow us here, so you get a discounted rate. That's coming up. But just uh, save the date if you're in the neighborhood. And Chief, again, thank you so much. Thank you. And everyone watching, police off the cuff. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being our fans. And thank you for contributing to us. Thank you all. Thank you everyone. Thank you, thank you Chief. Thank you, Mark. Now.